This is the Business Breakfast with Oanda. Online trading, currency data, money transfers. Very good morning to Craig Earlham from Oanda. So um, I think as you were noting yesterday, talks back on, but, uh, you know, we could have written this, couldn't you, really? It's just like a drama that uh, we've seen a hundred times before. Do you feel as though there are any more constructive noises coming out? There are, but I think that's all part and parcel of how this is kind of moving now. Uh, I mean, the political theatre around Brexit has been there for four years. Nothing we've seen recently is entirely surprising. I think the only difference is now they know they're coming to an end and both sides want to be seen to be being more assertive. Both sides want to be seen to be almost dominant or at least an equal and I think uh, I think both sides want to be seen to be getting the better uh, end of the deal and that means forcing concessions from the other in these final areas and I think to an extent both sides have kind of pushed things a little bit too far uh, and, and I think feel like that's almost what led to the breakdown in talks the PR is very important if you are Boris Johnson or if you are Brussels Brussels you want to ensure that the message reads around the rest of Europe if you leave the EU you are not going to be better off and you are uh, and it's you're not going to get an easy ride equally if you are the UK you want to be seen you want you, you want the PR to say well we've made a success of Brexit we've got the best deal we possibly can and now it's time to move on with our lives as an equal partner uh, an equal sovereign with the EU and sometimes the, the the kind of brinkmanship that we've seen in around this has meant that the both sides have kind of lost face so this is kind of a reset button I feel like the, the moves that we've seen over the last couple of days the commentary that we've seen ultimately it's all irrelevant and it seems very petty but it at least means that these talks can continue. And I think almost everyone expected that to be the case. From what you're saying, I'm taking it that you don't think uh, that there will be any particular constructive and um, easily to identify, if I can put it like that, sorry about the clumsy words, but uh, on the key areas like, for example, state aid, fishery, and most important, financial services. This is negotiation. I think you go into a negotiation with your starting point, your starting hand. This is what we want from this. And you always have in mind where you're happy for these to end up. And I don't think anything's changed on that front. I think both sides have known that they are going to have to compromise at some point. I think the point in setting a deadline was to ensure that that happened quicker rather than dragging out. But it doesn't actually change how this process moves. It just changes the speed with which it does so. And and I think we're now reaching the point where these compromises are made. We see this every single time there's a negotiation. Every single time when we're talking about the withdrawal agreement, whether we're talking about non-Brexit issues, it's always around these deadlines where the core issues, the difficult uh, to negotiate issues, where we see those kind of compromises, we don't see them any earlier. So I don't feel like this is going any differently than the normal. The only obviously difference is that it's be, it's very public. It's being very publicly driven because Brexit is such a contentious and political issue. Uh, and I think that's the only reason why we are seeing it kind of move in this way. I think we're not really seeing anything different to what we would typically see behind closed doors coming up then at the weekend more lockdowns and all the rest of it which we just announced in the news um i suspect a lot more angry discussions as well particularly well locally uh amid people uh, who are uh, th- those who can actually meet will be saying to themselves i'm not sure about these scientists i'm not sure about politicians they've taken a lot they they, they haven't made any judgments about this they've just been reacting to what the scientists have said and the scientists don't speak with one voice in any case i don't know about you i just happen i'm mystified by it all 
I think we're all mystified by it all, but equally, I don't think any of us are envious of the position that these scientists and the governments are around the world are in. None of us would want to be making a decision, would want to be making the trade-off between saving people's lives and saving people's businesses, saving people's jobs, saving people's livelihoods. These are all extremely important things, and it's it's very easy to say, well, ultimately, lives matter most, but try explaining that, that to the people who are hard up as a result, who see their businesses go under a perfectly legitimate business model crumble uh, overnight because uh, of the devastating effects of effectively closing the economy. So it's it's always easy to criticise, it's always easy to pick holes in many of these, uh, and I'm not sitting here so, suggesting that the government has done particularly well throughout this pandemic. It's made plenty of mistakes, as have many governments around the world. But uh, I think it's very easy to sit in our positions and well, criticise. It, it, it I, I, I give you that, certainly. But at the same time, what's happening is that <clears throat> scientists in particular particular who have because their civil servants have no skin in the game the only skin in the game they have is their reputations it's nothing to do with whether they will always have a job because they work for the civil service we're going to be talking later in the program about small businesses and the rest the actual backbone of where the money comes from in this country my point is yes we can sit and criticize these people because they are all they're doing it seems to me is they may be offering a little bit of science but they're also they aren't mentioning the fact that what they're doing protecting their own protecting their own backgrounds protecting their own reputations this is what you get if you bring scientists and specialists abroad don't you Oh, and, and that's that's this is where the role of the government comes into this. The scientists are there to create the models to tell the government what will happen, well, what they believe will happen if X, Y, and Z does does continue as it is. They don't have uh, any skin in the game as far as the economy is concerned. If you were if you sat Boris Johnson on a podium and you had two economists next to him, they would tell you what the economic uh, consequences of this would be without very li- with with very little uh, consideration for what the, the the toll on the NHS and uh, people's livelihoods uh, or, or say on, on on life uh, would be so it's all it, this is this is what what makes the job so difficult is that Boris Johnson has to take what the scientists say and has to look at the modeling has to look at the approach which he's been given by them has to take this advice but then also has to heed the advice of economists and other people who who, who have to focus on other areas and then you've got the other aspect as well which is the mental health implications of lockdowns and restrictions uh, th- there's a lot of information which you have to take into consideration one of which and, and a very important part is obviously the science but again a lot of the science is predictions, it's modelling uh, based on, on what we know about the coronavirus, which is very different from what we knew six months ago and may be very different again from what we know six months from now. The UK spending review, the usual three-year thing, which we, we're used to, has now been postponed. Um, a lot of uh, backlash is, uh, towards the Chancellor because of this. I'm just wondering what he could have said. I don't see how you can make any predictions these days, and three years must be an impossible kind of thing. What do you feel about the, the postponement of it? Are you missing anything? Uh, it doesn't bother me in the slightest, if I'm honest, and I, I think it's kind of faux uproar. I think people wanting uh, the the chancellor to kind of to to commit to this, to to almost act as if nothing else, everything else in life is normal, and therefore this should be too. I feel like it's just asking a bit much. We're still right in the middle of a pandemic. We're going into a winter period that we don't know how bad it's going to be. We just know it's going to be bad. Every day he seems to be adjusting uh, the, the the support which is being offered to businesses, to households, uh, etc. The rules are changing in terms of the restrictions. So I, I think 
ultimately the, the Chancellor's focus is and should be on the here and now and being reactive, trying to preempt uh, much of what is happening, trying to give as much support to businesses and households as possible, but being extremely reactive to the evolving landscape uh, that we are seeing. And I think navigating through the next six months is is by far and away the most important job that he has. So for me, the, this, this whole spending review uh, nonsense just isn't as important as it's being made out. And finally, um, I just want to talk to you very briefly about a, a bigger subject, which is China and the move to the east. And so the IMF is downgrading uh, Asia's growth prospects, apart from, of course, China, which appears to have shrugged off the mantle of everything and is now motoring ahead. Do you get that kind of feeling about China very briefly? And do you also worry about it? Are you happy about it because it's a, an export market? What do you feel? China grew 4.9% in the last quarter and it seems that they're going to be effectively be driving the recovery across Asia next year. Much of the rest of the continent is, much of the rest of the region is still going to be struggling. Uh, but many of these markets are ex- export markets. So while China can continue to grow and it's the, the domestic uh, consumption and demand is is returning, and we are seeing a lot of infrastructure spending, a lot of stimulus within China to ensure that we get these kind of growth rates. You can't grow alone. Like this is a very interconnected world. So if the if the demand and from Europe and the US etc is falling, then it is going to take its toll on these export markets, and it seems to be taking its toll more heavily. Uh, on countries outside of China uh, but it will ultimately take its toll on China as well Craig Ellum thank you very much indeed The Business Breakfast on Jazz FM with Oanda Online trading currency data money transfers